Hello, this is Examiner Radio, the weekly radio show and podcast that covers news, politics, and all things Halifax. I'm Tim Bousquet, editor of the Halifax Examiner, which is available online at halifaxexaminer.ca. Also in the studio is Examiner Radio producer Russell Gregg, pushing buttons and pulling levers and levers, or however we say that word. Hey, Russ. Hey, Tim. How are things? Well, you know, it's um, it's quite a summer we got going on. Hey, I, I uh, was sitting at a beer garden yesterday, and I'm giving a shout-out to uh, two Examiner Radio listeners, Joanne and Allison, who uh, shared the table with me, and uh, we had... <laughs> We had a couple beers and some interesting and good conversation, so uh, it's, it's that kind of summer. Right on. Yeah. Uh, this is episode 71 of Examiner Radio. As always, you can listen to the show on CKDU 88.1 FM in Halifax on Fridays at 4.30 p.m. or anywhere in the world via the CKDU website, which is www.ckdu.ca. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and have each new episode automatically delivered to your device of choice. Just search for Halifax Examiner in the iTunes search engine, and it'll be the first result. And rate and review, or don't. Your okay. call. Today, we're, we're going to speak with Kevin Kindred, who is the uh, spokesperson for the Rainbow Refugee Association of Nova Scotia, will be speaking about his group's efforts to help queer refugees settle in Halifax and Canada generally. First up, we, let's do the Week in Review, though. All right. A couple days ago, council council met in the sweltering heat, and uh, what, uh, what came of it? Yeah, this is an interesting time for council because basically at the first part of the summer, they take a month off, mm-hmm. and at the last part of the summer, they take another month off, and in between, they have three meetings in a, in a row every Tuesday, uh, and they try to jam in as much as they can to catch up on unfinished business from their first vacation and to get ahead on business that's coming up. So we have these massive, uh, gosh, meeting went uh, 10 hours or so, um, and tedious. Yeah. But a few things on the agenda. So the big thing that was at this week's council meeting, uh, well, actually it wasn't even discussed, but it, it's it's in the air, is the Blue Mountain Birch Cove Lakes wilderness issue. Uh, Councilor Reg Rankin had brought a motion dealing with that to the meeting and then at the last moment pulled that motion and put another motion forward that, which will be discussed next week. Uh, so what was the what was the original proposal or what was the original motion? Well, it's hard to, it, it, it's hard to say exactly what uh, what's going on here. The the motion that was being discussed this week um, was basically to help define the boundaries of the park. So let me, let me back up a little bit. And this is a basically that huge chunk of land. It's bigger than the Halifax Peninsula, behind the Bears Lake Business Park. Mm-hmm. Everything from there out to uh, Kingswood in Hammonds Plain, and going west out to or south, I guess, out to Hammonds Plains uh, Road. Um, the area around the uh, the Tantalan grocery stores and all that out there. So that huge chunk of land. Most of it is owned by the province and is has been designated as wilderness. But the most interesting part of the property is about a thousand acres around what's called Birch Cove Lakes, which are those Susie's Lake. Lots of lots of listeners will have swum there. Yep. Uh, Quarry Lake, Fox Lake, 
There's a couple others in, in that loop. I've done the canoe loop many times. Gorgeous area, but about half that area is owned by uh, private development companies who have recently acquired it, recently being the last uh, 20 years. Mm-hmm. And um, they uh, want top dollar for their, their property. So as we've discussed before, Justice Heather Robertson was hired as a facilitator to help the city, which wants to buy the property, and the developers that own that bit of property come to a, a, a reasonable price that both can agree on. As we talked about a, a few weeks ago, her report, however, sided entirely with the developers. Yeah, um, She said the, the city doesn't need this parkland. As a result, uh, thousands of people have uh, written letters to the city demanding protection of the wild- of the complete wilderness, including that property. To back up even further, I've been following this issue for over a decade. I've been to dozens and dozens of meetings related to it. And discussion from the get-go, from 2006 on, has been that... Um, the wilderness park would be ridge top to ridge top, meaning, meaning just what it says All to the it, ridge yeah. top, yeah. Uh, way above the lake. So any suburban development that happens out there will happen on the other side of the ridge top. So all the runoff, all the dog crap, all the all the oil and antifreeze, all mm. that will flow away from the lakes. Okay, and protect. I, that's a good thing. Protect yeah. the quality <laughs> of the lakes, um, and also if you were sitting in a canoe in the middle of Fox Lake or whatever, you would look around and have a three hundred and sixty degree unspoiled view, unspoiled by any modern development. But these develop these developers have put forward um, images and maps and a three um, D video that I, I I found and put on. HalifaxExaminer.ca uh, showing gigantic apartment buildings surrounding the lakes and monster homes overlooking the wilderness mm-hmm. and so forth. Reg Rankin, um, his newly revised uh, motion, which will come before council next Tuesday, is a three-parter, but it, it basically starts the planning process for that development. And he maintains that he wants the full park boundaries, ridge top to ridge top, yeah. uh, maintain, and that starting the planning process will make that happen. I can't read this, uh, the text of this motion without thinking he's got an ulterior motive here, which is he, he's playing both sides of this. He wants the park lovers to, to say, hey, he's saying to park lovers, hey, I want the full area protected. But at the same time, he's saying we should pay top dollar for it. So, okay. I mean, the difference here is something like $20 million uh, between what the city wants to pay for this and what the developers want to be paid. Uh, so he is siding completely with the developers. And, and what is Rankin getting out of this? Well, you know, he's uh, announced to, that he's not running for re-election. Right. So, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. We, we, uh, we didn't talk about commuter rail at... Uh, not at the council, council meeting. meeting, but uh, there's there's a, a an untendered proposal, unsolicited proposal, unsolicited from proposal. via rail, and for for commuter rail along the rail corridor up to Bedford and perhaps behind, uh, we don't know. It's secret. It's being discussed uh, today. We're recording on Thursday, and um, it's being held in camera. So I don't know what it says. Presumably, it mirrors a proposal that has been in the works in city government for a commuter rail uh, service with with eight stations 
along that corridor. And they, via rail, presumably has come forward with a price. Mm-hmm. Saying, we'll do it for this amount of money. We don't know. Why, why, is, the, why is it being held in camera? Good question. <laughs> uh, damn it if I know. Um, the, the city will say, well, it's a contract, so all contracts are negotiated in, in secret. Um, but it's not a contract. It's a proposal. Right. right? Yeah, and there's, there's good reason why contracts should be discussed in secret because you don't want to tip your hand one way or the other. So my example is always if the city wants to buy a piece of property, you don't want to tell the the person who owns the property what's the most amount you will pay for right. it. So those discussions are, are held in secret before you make your offer. Understood. You know, you, know, yeah. you lowball an offer knowing that you'll go up to X dollars amount. But in this case, Via Rail certainly knows what they're offering in terms of how much they want to get paid. And city councilors will certainly know what the ask is. The only people being kept in the dark are citizens. All right. Do you think? Do you think this? Uh, I was going to say, do you think it has legs? Uh, but actually, do you think it has wheels? <laughs> do you think um, maybe? I mean, I mean I'm uh, um, somewhat supportive of a of a commuter rail system. Um, you know, you look at that corridor. You got the Bedford Highway, basically, and and uh, it's it's impossible to widen the Bed- Bedford Highway right. for, for more traffic. Then you got the by high parallel, but you know to the to the southwest and and uh the cost of widening the by high is is over a billion dollars um so kind of a non-starter you got the rail tracks right there uh so it makes sense through that corridor my issue is that um you know yeah maybe you can have a a stop at the halifax shopping center and maybe at saint mary's university in the rail cut uh, and, and then, of course, down, um, you know, at, at the port, mm-hmm. uh, at the via rail, existing via rail station. But uh, that's not generally where people are going, right? They, I mean, they are going to the universities, but they're also Dalhousie, not St. Mary's right, so much. And, right. and they're also going downtown, and they're also going to the hospitals. Um, so it doesn't quite get you there. So unless we figure that bit out whether that's additional bus service or what i don't know that's why i'm always yeah i mean yeah all right well let's let's hope we uh have an opportunity for debate on this before uh, you know before the ink is dry on the contract well presumably the transportation committee which meets today will kick will do something with this and kick it to council um maybe uh maybe as soon as two weeks from now i don't know all right uh what's going on with cabbies in the city I think what's going on, uh, unfortunately, what I think is going on is is nothing new. I think what's new is there's a high, higher level of reporting going on about mm-hmm. sexual assault. And uh, there were two reports uh, this week, is that right? Yeah, a total of, uh, I guess, four in the last three weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, fortunately, I guess... Um, uh, none of these resulted in in a great physical injury, but uh, certainly whatever the you know emotional uh, distress mm-hmm. uh, cause. And people all over the city are freaking out. Uh, is it safe to get in a cab? And increasingly, the answer to that appears to be no. And it's many cab drivers are stepping up saying they don't like this either because sure. it paints well, all, all cab drivers. Yeah, with, yeah. Um, so, are there any? You know, any preventative measures uh, being floated to to address this? Yeah, I mean, 
I think we need a, a, a very wide-ranging public conversation about this. The things that have been thrown out so far have included dash dash cams. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, maybe, um, but they can be turned off and yeah. covered. And um, I mean, we don't even have GPS on cabs, you know. There was an incident, uh, a, a victim reported being attacked at a certain location in Dartmouth, um, and the police had to go out to the public and say, did anyone see a cab here? I mean, we should know what yeah. cab is yeah. where or when, yeah. um, but we don't. Uh, so I think there are some technical things that can be done. Certainly we need to up the regulation on the cabs. I don't know that there's an easy answer to this, but... Uh, so I don't, yeah, I don't know. The one I used to drive cab, right? And the one thing I would say to listeners is, uh, not that it's much solace, but before you get in a cab, I would suggest uh, taking a photo of the roof light and texting it to a friend. Yeah. Uh, although, I mean, you, you know, the onus should not be on the passengers. No, no, to, not at all. You know, yeah. Last but not least, ongoing developments in um, in Peter Kelly's ongoing upwards. Uh, Upwards, uh, onwards and upwards career. So the Reeve of Westlock, Alberta, which is the equivalent of their mayor, is now in the hot seat. A guy named Bud Massey. Bud Massey. Um, according to a CBC report last week, threw his, his own CFO under the bus uh, and, and said she didn't know what she was talking about in regards to all of this money that was uh, spent under Kelly's administration it's pretty, out there. It's pretty funny. This was CBC uh, PEI, yeah. right? So called out and interviewed him, and he said, no, she's, she's out to lunch, essentially, yeah. right? Uh, no, no, no. So it did, uh, actually, um, CBC, uh, CBC PEI interviewed... Uh, Clifford Lee, who's the mayor of Charlottetown. Oh, that's right. And Clifford Lee said, I called Bud Massey out in Westlock, and he said uh, that the former CFO, Sue Oberg, uh, was uh, was completely wrong. She is, quote, she is dead wrong in what in what she has said. Uh, and now Bud Massey is, is dialing that back and saying, whoa, 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 I never said that. So it's, uh, it's like you know, these people think that there's no internet anywhere, you know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, uh, three old white dudes are passing the buck, uh, back and forth, uh, to each other. Uh, still no discussion at Charlottetown city council about, uh, whether, uh, Kelly's going to survive his, uh, uh, probationary period, which uh, goes for another few months. Uh, we'll, we'll keep everybody updated cause, uh, the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, God. Let's move on to something else here. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, let's take a break here on Examiner Radio. And uh, when we come back, we'll have a chat with Kevin Kindred of the Rainbow Refugee Association of Nova Scotia. Thank you. You're listening to Examiner Radio.
I'm joined in the studio by Kevin Kindred, who is a spokesperson for the Rainbow Refugee Association of Nova Scotia. Hello. Hi. Thanks for coming in. Oh, I'm happy to be here. We asked you in, um, this is Pride Week? Pride Month? What do we call this? <laughs> well, it's the Pride Festival. It's, it stretches over 10 days. So we stopped calling it Pride Week a while ago once we went further than a week. But Yeah, and, and this is utterly beside the point, but uh, Pride in the U.S. is usually um, coincides with the anniversary of the Stonewall Riots, and they're later in Canada. Is that just simply weather-related? I, it's, not a, it's not really that. Pri- I mean, different communities take on a different... Uh, period of time for their pride celebrations yeah. in canada um they're informally sort of spread out so that people who want oh. to go to toronto pride but also be in halifax okay. for halifax pride can get them both done so uh, i don't know that there's any you sort should of get some funding formal from destination halifax yeah <laughs> well the, I, th- I, th- I think they are i'm not officially involved yeah, yeah, with pride yeah, in yeah. any way but you know i know lots about it anyway been around for a while. reason we asked you in is um we wanted to talk about what is called the rainbow refugee assistance program what is that so it's a program, and I'm not sure if that's just what we call it or if that's its official governmental title, uh-huh. um, but it's a program that was set up under the last government uh, to encourage community groups who wanted to sponsor queer and trans refugees. Um, the, there was a lot of pressure on the government at the, t- the time in response to some things we were hearing in the international situation to uh, step up support for refugees in general, but uh, specifically refugees who are fleeing persecution because of their sexual orientation and gender identity. There were some crisis moments in Uganda and and Russia even, right? Yeah. And, you know, there have always been crisis moments in various countries across the world. At the time, Uganda was getting a lot of attention and and became the focal point for for some of these issues. So in response, well, I'm, I'm not sure if it was entirely in response to that. But at at that point, uh, the government set up a fund and some other administrative rules to to facilitate groups like Rainbow Refugees Association of Nova Scotia, who want to reach out the hand hand to assist uh, refugees who fit that profile, who want to come to Canada. So what do you do? So uh, we, well, we fundraise. Our, Our real primary purpose is to fundraise to sponsor refugees and then provide the on-the-ground support for the refugees that we sponsor once they've arrived. So does the group itself sponsor refugees, or are there individuals or families or groups of people within the group? That, yeah, so the group itself, so this, yeah. this is a program that allows community groups to sponsor refugees, and that's always been one stream of refugee sponsorship, but there's been a push in the last five-ish years to have community groups specifically focused on gay, lesbian, trans, bi uh, refugees. So uh, that's the the profile that we fit. So we both sponsor refugees directly, and we've, we've sponsored a bunch over the last five uh-huh. years um, to come to Halifax. And we also assist with refugees who fit that profile, who may have been sponsored by someone else yeah. or, or another stream, but uh, could also sort of use some support. So between the, those two categories, we've uh, sponsored or assisted with about 12 refugees who've uh, been resettled in in Halifax or Nova Scotia over the last four or five years. Well, that's interesting. Can you tell us anything about them? Yeah, sure. I mean, we we, uh, try to speak about them in a relatively anonymous way because obviously their privacy is is important, and particularly given the circumstances that they're coming from, their comfort level with public exposure may not be um, what we want. But uh, just for example, there is... uh, a woman that we sponsored back in, I think she she arrived in last October. Uh, she comes from the Gambia. I'll talk about her because she's been speaking during yes, Pride, and her been, name has been, been in the media. So yeah. yeah, and she just talked about um, sort of 
coming out and what the the queer community in the Gambia faces, the the prospect of arrest and either death penalty or a, a life sentence, um, and then the extreme uh, risk of uh, violence and torture at the hands of police. Uh-huh. Um, the, the, the leader in the Gambia has, has been very, very explicit about uh, wanting a, a campaign of violence against the, the queer communities there. So she talked about her experience fleeing with a friend to get to Senegal, which is what you have to do to be a refugee. You first, on your own, right. have to find your way out of the, the, the country to a th- uh, an intermediary country in order to even be identified as a refugee. You know, about how she would leave as much of, as possible of her identification behind just to limit any possibility that she's that people are going to trace her back to her family. And reprisals um, and, and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, she had some and continues to have some support from her family, but which is which is good and is not the case for every refugee that we've uh, we've dealt with. But um, but yeah, so and she talks a little bit about the struggles that she had, even in, in Senegal, which, you know, for her was a safe country, but comparatively um, is not necessarily the best place to be uh, openly gay either. How did these dozen people, how did they hit upon coming to Canada? So at that point, once once a refugee reaches a third country, they uh, can in- identify to the UN and get involved in sort of the, the global system that's sort of coordinated through the UN for identifying and, and doing some screening of refugees. Uh, and from there, steps and steps and steps later, um, immigration services, uh, the, the federal immigration uh, folks, um, get a list of refugees who are interested in coming to Canada. And when they fit certain profiles, there's sort of some coordination to match profiles with groups that are interested in sponsoring that sort of refugee. I see. I see. Yeah, so there's there's several intermediary processes along the way. It's not that we kind of reach out to someone directly and try to sponsor them. It goes through. So it's their so. choice to come here. Uh, to, to come to Canada, yeah. And then um, if they've identified uh, that they want to come to Canada, um, there are... I'm not sure how much uh, discretion they have as to where they come. So um, Halifax is not as much on the radar screen. If if people know a little bit about Canada, they uh, don't often know about Halifax or know anything outside maybe Toronto and Montreal. So um, so for refugees who fit the profile that that we're interested in, um, there are a number of groups who, you know, get those lists, those kind of basic uh, profiles, and then we sort of negotiate amongst ourselves uh, who is interested in sponsoring what refugees. So this program was set up under the Harper administration. It was, yeah. And it provides three months, is that right? Yeah, it provides financial assistance to cover what what ends up being about the first three months of resettlement. And, and so your group, of course, has to cover the remaining nine months of the first absolutely, year. Absolutely, yeah, because that's the that's the deal with sponsorship in addition to some other supports. But you're basically responsible for the financial costs of living for the first year that the, the person is resettled. Well, you don't know what the Trudeau government is doing with the program. We don't. So the the program was set up as a pilot project mm-hmm. um, in 2015 because of some lobbying that uh, Rans and, and groups like us did. Um, it was extended as a for two years as a pilot project, but our expectation is that it should be made permanent. Um, it's a successful program. It works, and it uh, really reflects some of the needs, the unique needs of queer refugees. If you think, for example, about even refugees who are coming from dire circumstances, but um, who are coming from uh, countries and where they arrive in Canada and at least have the ability to connect to their 
whatever immigrants are here from their ethnic background or from their national background. Um, so, you know, at least there is that sort of built-in support in place for some refugees. It's hard to generalize, but um, but for queer refugees who may, the, the very reason why they're fleeing their country is because their home culture is not welcoming and not embracing of them. Um, that is not necessarily a good safety network for them right. to rely on. So there are extra supports that need to be built in place to, to help support refugees that fit that profile. I'm speaking with Kevin Kindred, who is a communications person with uh, Rainbow Refugee Association of Nova Scotia. You say you have about 12. You talked to us about one. How are how are they coming along? I mean, I, I assume that most of them have already done the one-year settlement program. Yeah. So, I mean, we have a number that we've directly sponsored who have settled in Nova Scotia for a year. Not all of them continue to be in Nova Scotia. That's not uncommon with uh, with yeah. refugees. They may try out uh, living in various places once they feel oriented to Canada. Just they may like realize, the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know, there's there's nothing surprising uh, surprising there. Mostly, uh, we've sponsored men from the Middle East, so somewhere in the, the in the Arab world. Uh, Jahu, who is from the Gambia, uh, is a bit uh, of a different profile, and, and there are some others, um, but uh, the struggles that they face are the struggles that all refugees face. You know, there's uh, language issues, there's cultural acclimatization, there's uh, eventual struggles with education and employment. And then on top of that, fleeing a homophobic regime, uh, and then trying to acclimatize to a life in Canada where life isn't perfect for queer people, but there actually is more uh, liberty. So some of the, the folks that we've talked to talk about how sort of weird and disorienting that can be to right. actually realize that you can be out and you can speak about your experiences even in public and get involved in, a, in pride and all of that and find support maybe outside of the, the community that most refugees sort of first turn to for their support network but realize that there is an open and active queer community here and that that's a so- source of support. Are they finding jobs? Or are they integrating? Into yeah, I mean, I would I would have to say sort of a, a mix of yes and no in, yeah. in response to that question. Uh, there certainly are struggles, and and as with uh, many many refugees, language is sort of one of the first struggles that they sure. they place, and then they they are facing. Um, what people of color uh, face here anyway in terms of discrimination and, and limited opportunities. So it's uh, it, we certainly wouldn't pretend that anyone's had a perfect experience as a result of coming here, but it's, it is a much safer place for them to be. What do you want from our listeners? Well, uh, so we are signing, we are we're asking people to sign a petition, uh, and the petition is going to go to the federal government, and it's asking them, as I, as I said, to take that program that was set up as a pilot program and make it permanent. We think there's all of the evidence in the world that it works and that there's a unique need that it fills. Uh, so if you find us during Pride, uh, and particularly at the community fair after the parade, if you want to, we'll have a, a table if you want to come up and chat with us. Uh, we'll ask you if you want to become a member, if you want to donate, and if you want to sign our petition. Great. That'd be right there at Citadel Hill. Right? It'll be right there on Garrison Grounds. Yeah. Garrison, Garrison Grounds. Before we came into the studio, you, you said, I really want to talk about <laughs> well, I wanted to talk about some of the, I don't know how to put this, but the, the attitude that people bring to the discussion of refugees sometimes, because um, we tend to, when we think, and the queer community is, is guilty of this, when we think about the, the situations that people are in across the world, 
we can really show that white savior complex of thinking that, you know, things are bad in Uganda. So why can't we as we've we've figured out everything here and why can't we just sweep in and, and do some kind of intervention and solve that problem? And, and you know, that's a, that's a problematic approach. I mean, we work with people who have identified that the best thing for them is to flee their country. Yeah. Uh, and we want to help them because they've made that choice. That doesn't mean that the only way to, to, to as Westerners, to think about uh, the problems in the rest of the world is to imagine everybody who faces a problem leaves and comes here, or that we can somehow import our views there, and that will be what's needed to to resolve the, the, the issues. So I think it's just important to First and foremost, when we talk about refugees, to remember that these are individual people um, and what we can do, as much as we can support, we can also learn a lot from their experience about what the reality is in their country and maybe use their experience to better inform how we as Westerners can have an informed opinion and maybe take some actions. There's lots of discussion around these sort of issues in the uh, non-governmental organization kind of world about how they deal on the ground and Africa yeah, and absolutely. And it's, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm, what energizes me is that people are expressing a, a desire to support communities, queer communities elsewhere in the world. Um, it's just important that we be cautious about how we bring our privilege and, and our kind of savior attitudes to that discussion. Let's leave it there. Through the miracle of the, the space phone that I carry in my pocket, uh, your website is rainbowrefugees.com. Dot com so rainbow refugee singular ns dot com and uh, again we'll link to that thanks for coming in great thanks for having me yeah have have a, a great celebration this I, week I'll try my best yeah. happy pride to both of you <laughs> thank you well I've been speaking with Kevin Kindred who's a spokesperson for the Rainbow Refugee Association of Nova Scotia we'll return right after this. That's a wrap for this week's Examiner Radio, the weekly podcast and radio show produced by the Halifax Examiner. I'm Tim Bousquet. And I'm Russell Grack. As always, we'd love to know what you think. If you have comments on what you've heard or story suggestions for future episodes, please send us an email to podcast at halifaxexaminer.ca. Until next week, happy Pride. God, I had uh, I skipped breakfast and had cheesies when I got to the office. So <laughs> please don't p- broadcast that. Oh, I'm, no, I'm, I'm totally <laughs> putting that in. I'm totally putting that in. <laughs>